Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dog Show Drive with Wayne and Will. I'm Wayne Cavanaugh. And I'm Will Alexander. Indeed, you are, young William, and what a yeah, delight it was to be with you this weekend at the great weekend of Tuxedo Park, Somerset Hills, in Westchester. The historical, wonderful shows we were able to attend. Also, judging, dog show judging in every form in ways that we hope to make us all question and think about. All that and George Costanza right here on the Dog Show Drive. How are you, buddy? I haven't seen you in 48 hours. I know. It seems like forever, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> <laughs> we sure had a good time, didn't we? Oh, my God, we did. But you know what? It is exhausting. You know, I guess it is. It's, it's, you're on your feet all day long. and you, But I, I sent Michael and Michelle a message and then saying I had the best time because I really did have the best time. Well, it really makes a difference, a big difference, who you're on the panel with. Oh. I mean, these are long drives, long hours. It's not easy. The weather is always brutal lately. Um, but you, if you have friends on the panel, we had Eddie. We, I mean, Ed Bivin, how good was it to see him? And Virginia. We had so much fun with Virginia Murray. It was so much fun. <laughs> I know fun. she was getting a little upset with us. but <laughs> <laughs> She was great. That's Virginia Murray, Ken's wife. She's yeah. terrific. And we just had such a great time. I mean, it was really... And by the way, you can really talk dogs with any of those people. Oh, yeah. It and was, it was it bad. Made life... Yeah, it made love. Oh, and Desi. Desi, yeah. Desi. Desi. Oh, great panel. Great panel of people that, that no, not many panels can you say, there's three or four people that could buy me a dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, really it was so good to see Ed. And I was, oh, it, he made that best and show so exciting because there were breeds in there that he just, he knew forwards and backwards. And we were all yeah. waiting to see how he would go over them, how he would mm-hmm. touch them. And uh, he didn't disappoint us. No, he didn't. This is Ed Bivin we're talking about. Truly, um, you know, just a master and, and one of those people that is so well respected. We don't see him often anymore. Um, he comes out to the beautiful shows, the big shows. Westchester is certainly one of those. Michael and Michelle Scott have done an extraordinary job carrying on the history of this show. We're so well, in, in the whole weekend, see, by the way. Like Donald Sturz and, and Peter Kubas, they're all wearing the same unit. It's just it's yeah. just it's it's yeah. it, it's makes you think that well it is. It's something special. And it should well, be treated as such. Forty years ago, um at Westchester, let's see. Well I I've probably there 50 years ago, they were, um, you had Bill Metz and uh, Sandy, oh, the Afghan guy. Fry. No, no, no Sandy, no. that's a woman. Sandy, um, Al- oh. Al- Alex, this is, uh, uh, we'll think of it. Uh, anyway, awful. and all those, those, boy, it's right on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> I know. Uh, anyway. You had all those guys with their white pants and their blue blazers, the big, gorgeous Westchester embroidered logo, and the flowers, the tents, the lunch, and every little detail. And when they couldn't have it, at, it used to be you went from Tuxedo to Somerset Hills. Across, well, I forget which order it was in. I think you might have even had to 
had to do Somerset, drive across the bridge to Westchester and Tarrytown. It was held at the estate where yeah. Westminster was recently held, and then back to Somerset. It was something like that, but they're two separate locations. Well, all those shows had their flavor. And Somerset, I wasn't there for Tuxedo, but Somerset did a great job with their green and yellow colors. And Andrew was show chairman, super job. I mean, these are just two historic clubs that are three historic clubs that really have just kept that tradition alive. But when you walk into Westchester, you know you're there. Oh, and you see Bethy and Peter, Peter Green, Bess Wagger, and Andrew. Andrew was driving everybody around his golf cart. He, he even brought me a coffee at one point, called me a princess. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the thing about that group is not only that they're great dog people, uh, but they know how to put on a show. They respect the tradition of that kennel club. Yeah. And that's really important. Plus, they're just fun. I mean, these are the people we grew up with, Will. I mean, these are the guys. This That's my home stomping grounds. And that's where I grew up. And I've known those people since I'm a little, little teeny kid. And it just brings so much memories when you walk in there and you see that kind of quality. And weren't the dogs beautiful, Will? Oh, it was just a, it was, it was so much fun. And sitting at ringside watching the groups with you and Eddie, it was just, and, and Virginia when she wasn't judging, yeah. you know, it was, it was. It was fun. It was just it fun. It really was special and interesting how all of us would gravitate towards a, the same dog that we hadn't seen before. You know, almost the same time we're like, look at that mini wire. <laughs> you know, yeah. Look at that Spencer. And it was really cool how that, that went down. And that's what it's all about, you know, having those conversations about dogs, not about, you know, records and whatever. Looking for the new one, you know, looking for that dog that has caught our eye. And like you've talked about before, the dog of the weekend, right? Yeah. And it's always fun. And you know what? I, um, I really enjoy, because I'm in my head on my, when I'm, when I'm judging, I have a dog of the day in my head that excited me when I was judging. And I have yet to have an assignment where I didn't find that dog. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Isn't that's that an exciting part of it, and I think it's part of it because I I just enjoy judging so much. I re- I can't believe how much I like it. I didn't know if I would, but I just I just love it. I love yeah. being out there with the people and the dogs, and you know it's it's not the same competitive level as when you're showing dogs, but it's it's right there. It's I I really enjoy it. It is, and you and you know, it really is hard work. I know that just sounds ludicrous that we would say that if you haven't done it, but it's hard work. So to be in there and love it and really want to do it, those judges just go there to get their check and <laughs> have a scowl on their face all day and don't want to talk about dogs. Get another job, Walmart greeter. You make more money. Well, it's just, <laughs> it's just funny because we, we well, there are obviously judges out there that are just there for the social end of it and want them to go yeah. and. They don't take it as seriously as some other ones, but I don't know how you can't. I don't know how you can, especially when you go to a club so deep in the lore like Westchester and think of the people that came before you and you're out there with them. I remember we were sitting at the, we were sitting at the hotel, the three of us, Eddie, yourself, and, and, uh, Myself, <laughs> myself, yeah. Eddie, and yeah. you. You were too. <laughs> Some people have a way with words, and other people just uh, not have way. I guess. Anyway, <laughs> um, 
you had gotten up to get your coffee or something in. He's like, can you believe this? We're all sitting here. We're all about to judge Westchester. And just 15 years ago, we were all getting ready to show Westchester. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> we're the, he said, we're the old ones. We're the judges now. <laughs> That's true. And, and that is a good feeling. But it certainly is a feeling that comes with serious responsibility. Alexander Schwartz. That's it. Sandy Schwartz. <laughs> Sandy, Sandy Schwartz. Alexander Schwartz. Yep, yep, yep. And his wife's name was, I start with the G, Glorvina Glor- Glor- or Glor- Glorvina? Oh, yeah, Glorvina Schwartz. You're right. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, that, we still got it, Will. That still got it. takes a bit sometimes. <laughs> this is the show, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to call you at two in the morning. Sandy Schwartz. <laughs> <laughs> But and Bill Matt's great pointer man, you know, it's just a great. I'm missing all, uh, Ralph. I don't know if Ralph Dodeo was in it, but he, he seems like he should have been. Um, so many uh, of those people were. I just I can see them standing there coming in in the morning in those same exact outfits that they're now wearing. I love it. Love and, it. And, and it's, it's it's not. I don't think it's intimidating, but it's almost awe-inspiring as I was judging something and I looked around and there were some blue blazers watching me judging. Mm-hmm. Thinking, oh, yeah. Um, mm. yeah. How cool <laughs> They're not going to escort me out of here in a second. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you've got, it, it, when you, see, I'm not saying that they're all 20 years old, but when you see Andrew Green, Peter Kubas, Donald Sturz, uh, in, in our mind, a younger generation, right? There is hope. <laughs> oh my <laughs> Because gosh, these yeah. are deep, dog people with great histories and, and knowledge and, and long, you can talk, I talked to Peter Kubas for, at lunch for 20 minutes about dog shows. Oh, Pete's you know, great. Pete is so much fun to talk to. He's a fun guy, yeah. but he's also, he can be really serious and, and introspective. And um, it's just, it's just a great bunch of people and yeah. makes it so much better. But that best in show lineup. Oh my. Remember Desi said to me, uh, he did it the first day. And he said to me the next morning, they didn't make that easy. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't make that easy for me. I mean, the beautiful pools, poodle of Cajas, the Doberman of Diego's, and the Pomeranian I've never seen before. I mean, what a lineup. Yeah. What a lineup. Foxhound, yeah, bitch. Super... Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. And, and, and terrors. I guess some terrors were different every day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But what a, that's just a super lineup. So fun to watch, fun to see, and fun to be there. Now, by the way, we're talking about this with such glee and exuberance, which is exactly what we remember from it. The weather was uh, a challenge, right? Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and I, I it started raining first thing in the morning when I first started short here at 8 a.m. And uh, I, at first I thought it was me because the last time I judged down there too, we, the show was canceled the next day. Due to weather. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, but then it cleared up, but you know what? It wasn't so bad. Like, I didn't even think about the weather being bad. I was just enjoying myself so much, you know. Yeah. And the well, club it, did everything they could to make you comfortable. Like they oh, checked sure. on you and yeah. yeah. Just great. Now the day before you hadn't you were judging Ningo Setter specialty in Michigan yeah. on Somerset Day. That's when they had to close the show down for a bit. Yeah, I heard that. When yeah. they started. I had just finished and here's the weird part. I did a Weimaraner specialty, I don't know, maybe six months ago or so in uh New England. And there were 62 of them entered. And there was a storm that the show had to be canceled. In the middle of the sporting group, I believe it was, they just said, I mean, lightning, thunder. And when we stopped, it wasn't like you stopped, collected your stuff, said hello to friends. 
It was mass exodus. We ran for cover. It was that bad. Looked a lot like a tornado, but that severe of a storm. And maybe and so, it's you. Well, and so guess me. what I did this weekend? The day Weimaraner specialty. And they canceled the show for a time. Because it's you. It's not me. It, I'm it's guilty by association. <laughs> and I even said to the Weimaraner people, let's get through this before before we have to put up. And we did. I'm really, I finished. I came back up top because the Weimaraner specialties are down a little bit lower and and on the grounds and came back up to the top where the other rings were. And we we're chatting for 10 minutes. And all of a sudden I looked up and went, I'll see you guys. And it was a drive. It's only a six mile drive to the hotel. And by the way, let's talk about that for a second. Well, how nice to be close to a hotel that has a restaurant and where everybody's comfortable and you don't have an hour drive in the morning to get to the show. Little touches like that. Too. Right? Little beautiful hotel. But um, I got I drove back to the hotel and there was garbage pails blowing across the highway. I'm like, uh. holy man. Uh, well, I, I drove from Michigan because I, I judged the especially in the morning. So I got out of there by noon after all said and done. And on, on my GPS, it said I should have made it to Bridgewater in nine hours, eight hours, somewhere around there. Well, because the weather was so bad and the traffic, people stopped and pulled over because they couldn't see. I didn't get into 11 o'clock, which turned it into like a... 10 or 11 hour drive but i was white knuckling it there for a while and i uh, I'm, I'm i'm a pretty confident driver but there was i pulled over at one point because the rain was so bad you couldn't see you know yeah it was just buckets i've never it, seen lightning like that before lightning sheets it was oh it was crazy and and what happened was the day before you were lucky to come in overnight and and not be there for the saturday show because uh in a way would have loved to have you there all weekend but the storms are so bad for people flying. If you were flying, Will, from Michigan that night, you would have never made it. Yeah. Never made it. The flights were just canceled. That simple. Poor Virginia. She was there. She came in for Westchester. She wasn't there the day before. And, or maybe she, no, she wasn't. No, she wasn't. She was, remember, she got way late in Albany. So what she had to do, what she had to do was, uh, she flew from Chicago to Newark, direct flight. They couldn't land in Newark. And Newark was the airport that you flew into for the hotel. Um, she could, They couldn't land in Newark because of the weather. So they kept circling and circling to the point where they were running out of fuel and had to find an airport real quick to land. And that's how she ended up in Albany for the night <laughs> and didn't get in till one in the morning. Um, now, funnily, I was talking to Bobby Christensen, uh, the Mossbo superintendent. Is it MBF? Sorry. <laughs> I still call it Mossbo, right? MBF uh, president, I think, and um, CEO, whatever. He, he, I, I, he is Mossbo, Mossbo now. Anyway, and has been for a while. Bobby's a pilot. And I said to him, what are you going to do flying out of here? So I'm getting my little plane and go. Wow. Like in the storms, he goes, I can go in between and upside down and around. I can cut my way through. You know, not the big boys can't, but um, I have ways to just buzz right around those things and off I go. He was frightening to think about, though. <laughs> it really is. All that comes to mind is like Bill, we well, don't know who Bill Burilko is, probably down there, but Buddy Holly, all yeah, those stories. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Um, Maury Mulheisen uh, was the guitar player for Leroy Brown. Who's that? Uh, Jim Crochet. 
Jim Croce. They were on the same plane, obviously. So let's stop talking about that. Anyway, um, Bobby's, you know, he flew down to visit me at my other place 25 years ago. He'd been flying for a real long time. And, uh, but anyway, and, and by the way, what a great job they did, right? I mean, they were all there. And yep. Dave Fry was there doing some announcements. Yeah, it was good to see David that with the Seattle Kraken hat on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we good talked hockey Dave. there for a while. Yep. Yep. Good to see Dave. It was just a fun time. And yeah. um, hearing his voice in the background was nice. Um, and it was just one of those shows that just worked so well. Uh, the, the humidity the day before was such that it oh. was stifling. I heard um, that what you called me at one point, you were in your car with the AC on. We were all doing it yeah. in between classes. We we're going to our cars and turning the AC on. Yeah. Westchester ended up being nice once the rain cleared. Yeah, no, I had no problems at all. Got yeah. a little steamy in the group level because when the sun came out and we're yeah. sitting there, but it wasn't wasn't the kind that you wouldn't show in. It wasn't that kind. Mm-hmm. It was just because we're like the older judges. We do get discomfort faster than the younger people, and the the yeah. heat hit us and we had our jackets. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, well, there are no younger judges than us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we kept getting none. in trouble because we were sitting together and talking too much. <laughs> yeah, that was. I don't. I, they need to. I think they're gonna have separate sections for us next time. We had too much fun, Virginia, poor Virginia. <laughs> and he, and he oh, sat God. down after the Hound Group and saw us laughing. He said, "What are you two dumb and dumber doing over here?" <laughs> We were a little We're out talking of about you, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't get to be together at dog shows, you know, only electronically. So it was really, it was great fun. And uh, I certainly appreciated it. Anyway, um, we had some, an email or two about something we briefly mentioned about judging. And I want to talk more about that today. Right. And uh, it's less funny, but <laughs> oh, we'll make it fun. We'll get back but, to funny. I have a good hockey story I got to tell anyway. So, well, go ahead, Will. Throw it right. Well, you in want me to go about it? Now? Of course. Well, your do. son probably knows this. I don't know if you do. You listen to the Spit and Chicklets podcast? No, but he that? listens to every single one. Of he them does. There. Yeah. Well, it was. It's, it's not really funny. It's actually it's a little upsetting. There was a. You've heard of Mike Babcock. He was the yeah, coach yeah. of the training. Well, he got let go by the Maple Leafs about five years ago. And all kinds of different things came out about him. You know the, how he yeah. like tried to have power struggles with different players and Mike Medano yeah. and Mitch Marner and just making them feel uncomfortable or doing things that you know with like with Mitch. He 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 called Mitch into his office. I hope I get this right. And he he made him make a list of all the players he thought he was better than that was on the team. And Mitch was just a rookie at that point. Yeah. Well, then he posted that list in the dressing room, Whoa. like that kind of stuff. And then with Mitch, yeah, um, he did it in Detroit too. He well, was with here. Mike Medano, Mike was on the verge of getting fifteen hundred games. Well, then he got he got sat down and didn't make his fifteen hundred games before he retired. Just little silly power control yeah. nuts old yeah. things. Well, yeah. now he's the coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. He hasn't started. He is. Yeah, he just got hired oh. in the summer, and he, he was in Saskatchewan coaching some high school team or something. I don't know. Anyway, now it's come out on Biz Nasty's podcast that he's calling the player. He's having the coach player interviews. Well, he's asked to see pictures on your phone. What? Yeah, he wants to see what kind of person you are. So he's asked to see pictures on your on the player's phone. Now, some of the older players... Um, Boone Jenner and whatnot and Goudreau, they're like, oh, it was very, it was nothing, it was nothing creepy about it. it. Was it was he wanted to see our family pictures? 
I'm sure some of those young guys, the 22-year-olds, are thinking, I'm not showing you my phone, mister. <laughs> but it, it, obviously, it, it, it's, it was somebody leaked it that it wasn't comfortable because it got to biz nasty for yes. our podcast, you know? Um, so it's just interesting. But we, we, uh, we had Babs here for a while. And he, I don't know if you ever talked to Bab or heard Babs talk. He talked like that. He said, we're, we're, mm -hmm. we're going to put our hard heads on and shine our shoes. Cause this is the yeah. NHL. And we're going to, we're going to come back and no matter what we have, we're going to always work hard. I, mm -hmm. I can just hear him. I just want to take a look at your phone and see some of the pictures of your phone. And I want to see what kind of person you are. <laughs> you know? But, uh, well, the funniest thing is when Babcock got canned from the Red Wings, the guy that they hired, oh, Jeff Bashel, maybe? I just remember Chris Chelios had a problem with him, too, I think. Well, anyway, whoever followed Babcock sounded just like him. Oh, really? Jeff Bashel or Bashil or something. Yeah, he sounded exactly like him. And it was absolutely funny. Because the interviewers would always mention it, and he would get a kick out of it. They sounded exactly like, you're all in real interested in this, aren't you, dog folks? I bet you're just <laughs> tuning your volume way up right now. This is the show, Jerry. This is, this is what it's all about. You know? <laughs> show about nothing. All right, we can get back to the we real that, Yeah, back to the Anyway, uh, we're talking about, uh, what was your... Your the comment we talked about earlier, Will, when uh, you got oh, a, I got a, I got a, a text yeah. message saying someone that they're a new listener and they really enjoy the show, but they would like us to talk a little more about judging, not necessarily, you know, we're not we're not the end all be all, but our ideas on certain breeds and and procedures and whatnot, and and they they said that, it, that he they would find it very interesting if we did delve into certain things like that. So I I said I'd talk to you and uh, see how it goes, and now uh, put our hard hats on and uh, <laughs> take a good look at it and do our very best. <laughs> well, well, I think when you and I were talking about it, immediately came up about Irish wolfhounds because yeah. I've. Uh, it's a long story. Anyway, I need some pieces of paper so I can be a genius in Irish Wolfhound. <laughs> so you need proof stupid, that but, you know yeah. the Irish Wolfhound standard yeah. and breed. And <laughs> Just talk to me for five minutes about him. I think I got this. Anyway, one of the issues we're talking about is that with Wolfhound, Irish Wolfhounds, uh, there are people that put up flat back Great Danes thinking yeah. they're beautiful, short back, flat Big old Back coffee table wolf. Big old coffee tables. And this is a breed that has the most exquisite and simple sentence in it. A rough-coated like greyhound. If you can't get rough-coated and greyhound in your head, you're missing the shape of this breed. Right. It just drives me nuts. This is not a square breed. This is a think of a greyhound. Blow it up, change a couple things give it more mass, more bone, more everything. But those curves, it's a sight hound. My vet didn't know that Killian was a sight hound. When it came to anesthesia, I had to say, hey, buddy, you do know this is a rough-coated greyhound-type dog, right? What do you mean by that? This is a sight hound. There's greyhound in them. Oh, well, that changed. Yeah, it does change things. And, and this is a good dog guy, too. But they don't think of Irish wolfhounds as sighthounds. They think of them as working dogs or something. I don't well, know. Because those ones we see sometimes are, are just big, flat, lumbering animals now. Yeah. I have a beautiful one in my class, and the young lady that shows it does a good job, but she tends to stretch him out a bit too, her out a bit too much and flatten out her back. So when she stopped a freestack, because I have a freestacking exercise as well, 
I said, stand back and look. I said, see how she stopped herself? That's what you want to send to the judge. That's the outline you want to send to the judge. So if the, if the, if you have to stretch them out and they're not comfortable, you know, you know it's not right if they're not comfortable standing there. You're trying to hold them together. So the natural the only issue with that, of is course, there. is the only issue with that, of course, she's going to she's going to go out and stretch it out and beat the good curvy ones. <laughs> Sometimes they are, and, and, but and, and, but they won't be wrong because when this bitch moves, her shape comes right back. Yeah. Well, you hope they'd know that. Yeah. It just concerns me, and I think this all goes back to something I've written about and harped about for years. If you don't know the root breeds of the breed you're judging, you have no right to be in there. Right. You have to know what a greyhound looks like and a Scottish deerhound looks like and a Great Dane. All the breeds that were there to create, to recreate the Irish wolfhound. And it's the same with every other breed. You've got to know what breeds form that breed. Because if not, for example, in pointers, the reason you need to know there's foxhounds and greyhounds back there is because you don't want them to look like a foxhound or a greyhound. So we're trying to breed away. We went in there and got the things we needed, um, scenting ability, uh, ease of motion, uh, alacrity speed, and there was even a little white bull terrier thrown in there years ago for tenacity. Because if you get into the sighthound breeds too much, you might not have all that wicked drive. Well, the the problem with that, well, it's, it's twofold. One is you have to think that when those standards were written, a greyhound today and a greyhound from then weren't the same. A foxhound from back then and today, more similar, but not necessarily the same. Bloodhound, a touch of bloodhound was thrown in there. They didn't look anything like they do today. So it's, you know, in the working dogs and things, right. and it's regional too. So you have to think of paintings from back in that day when you're trying to build your knowledge base of what those breeds look like. You're not talking about a modern one. But all with all that said, you don't want to look like a foxhound because you don't want a straight underline. Like a, a oh, we're talking about English foxhound. Right. You don't want a straight underline. You don't want round bone because that's a foxhound. A pointer should be a pointer. If he has too much foxhound, they're going to they're going to use too much low-headed scent kind of trailing thing. You don't want that. We're looking for a bird dog. So all those things that go into it, too much greyhound, too much tuck up, not enough bone, too many curves, uh, ropey skinny tail. Not ropey, just the opposite, skinny tail like a, like a, a greyhound would be. So without taking all those things into account, You'll never know what a pointer should look like. You have to know those root breeds for every single breed to judge. Terriers, Welsh terriers, smooth fox terriers, wire fox terriers, all the short-legged terriers. Boy, you really need to know what those breeds came from. And spaniels, they're all one. If you look at paintings from the 1800s, some of those gorgeous paintings, uh, great art from that era, you'll say, what kind of spaniel is that? It was a spaniel, that's all. Was it flushing spaniel? That's what, that's what the thing is that people don't realize. They look at the standards and they don't understand why this bee was developed. This bee was developed out of necessity. Yep. It was bred like hunting, bird dogs, herding, guard dogs. They were all bred out of necessity. And like I'm a, a, a avid believer that to learn breeds, you need to know the breed history because standards are so vague and they change so much. And like you see things like must move freely or must have pleasing expression. Those are all vague statements. And uh, and the standards have changed so much each year because someone will get angry or the breeders will say, well, we can't do that anymore. So they change the standard. 
standards change. The history never changes. So I think and the history, function never changes, right? You know, history is really important. You, I think to understand breeds that you're judging, it's in, really important to read the history on those breeds. I remember Doug and Jamie telling me they went to Lord Clumber's estate, that area, that terrain, and saw what it's like to go through that brush and that's briar. And you know how much skin you need to do that. And you know what kind of power you need to do that. Going back, I mean, I've had the pleasure when I was doing Breed All About It for Animal Planet. Our budgets were great back then. And we went to Ireland to run Irish setters in the Irish mountains. And the same is true with the Irish red and white setters. You want to see the speed. and the, You can see those dogs for miles. There's no cover except Pete. Yeah. Uh, and they have like to be chasing able... your dog to sketch one. You can see them for miles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So they'll run. You, they'll run. They swim. They have to that swim. The Canadian fans. <laughs> but it's a. You really need to know what that terrain's like. I'm not saying you need to go to all those places, although it'll be really cool. Yeah. Um, it'll open your eyes up to what the function of that breed is, and we just forget way too much about function. One thing that I think every breeder, judge, exhibitor should get, handler should get in their head, is it wasn't like a committee sat around and said you know what, we're going to create this beautiful dog. Let's write the description. And then let's see if we can get there. And then maybe he can do its job. It never went like that. No. Why do we judge him like that? It went like this. They created a dog that could hunt wolves or whatever. Then once it got to be real good at doing that function, then they wrote it down. And said, this is the shape and this is the size and this is the dogs that we have best luck with doing its job. And it's human yeah. nature for groups to argue anyway. So yeah. when you have a bunch of people trying to sit down and write the standard on the, the Milton Hound Dog, well, Wayne's Milton Hound Dog had longer legs than Will's Milton Hound Dog. So they had to come where, so they argued about those things. So it took a long time for these standards yes. to be where they are. And that's why I, 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 in my own head, history is mostly, in a lot of ways, more important than the standard itself. Yeah, obviously, you need to know the standard, but I think history will teach you more about the breed you're looking at than the standard will. Yeah, function and history. And, you know, we think of, uh, people use the exp the expression blueprint, the standards, the blueprint of the breed. Mm. When you, someone gives you a blueprint and you're a builder, you look at the blueprint, you look at the blueprint and then you build the house. Breed standards weren't done like that. No, and, and built the house and then you the If I got a blueprint and you got a blueprint, the house may not look the same. Right. So what happened then was they built the house and then they drew the blueprint because it didn't fall down or, or it looked yeah. right and it was balanced. So we have to remember that those standards didn't just, there wasn't some guy sitting around creating breeds uh, by writing down a standard. They created them by using different crosses. There wasn't a time when the dog gods went, hey, 400 breeds, boom, and there they were on the ground. I mean, we've 80%, this is the National Geographic documentary, it was sensational, and it was written a few years ago, so the numbers are still close, but in the last 110 years, 110 years, Belter was alive then, Will. 80% of, of our breeds were developed in the last 110 years, 80%. 110 years, isn't my mother was 100 when she passed away. She was there for the creation of over 70% of the breeds we see today. This is the world's most incredible genetics experiment. 
There's never been anything like it. To start off with a wolf and come up with a chihuahua and a St. Bernard, I mean, and a poodle, and I mean, it, the, the variety, the diversity, and the genetics of this is amazing because the, the gene, the basic gene pool is really so small because you can identify these and link them to wolves, canids anyway, um, because they're so similar. But we selected such minute little details to create a breed that could do its job. And by the way, people, well, what about toy breeds? Toy breeds were bred to do a job too. Yeah. And they better be sound enough to go do it. I was just yes. telling that story about Yorkies. Yorkies are bred to keep the rats off the, the beds. <laughs> yep. And this is lore, but I love to believe it. English toy spaniels, which we've had and would love to have again, uh, they, some of you can read this history. It says, you know, the beds back in the Queen's day were made out of hay, a straw, not hay straw, and whatever else you can throw together, right? They didn't, you couldn't dial up a box and a mattress and have it arrive next day on your, on your porch. So there were fleas involved. There were fleas involved. Fleas and rats were an absolute giant plague in London and some of our famous cities and people died by the scores from these things. So an English toy spaniel would draw the fleas to the end of the bed. So the queen wanted a little dog down the end of the bed that could draw. Now that's lore. I love it. If it's true, it's even better. But I can tell you this, back when people, we had fleas before we had all these medicines. So 30, 40 years ago, there were fleas around. You don't see fleas anymore um, because we have all these preventatives. We had, we lived near the, in the Jersey shore that was sandy and there were fleas around. And we had probably half dozen pointers and one English toy spaniel. The pointers never got any fleas, Will. But poor Clifford. Uh, English toy spaniel. <laughs> he drew him down to the end of the bed. He did. <laughs> and you need to know about those faces and where they came from. And the, the English toy spaniel head um, is what the, the, was what they wanted in royalty because it looked like a human, right? A flatter yeah. face. So they're breeding for that. And when the cavaliers popped out with the longer muscles, those were given to the peasants to go get rid of. Uh, but they didn't go put them to sleep. They loved them, so they kept them. So there's all these different great stories and myths. Part of them are probably true, but it's really nice to have uh, any knowledge that would help bring you to mind of what those dogs were bred to do. And in, in the case of some of the toy breeds, they were big functional, well, poodles, perfect example, right? That's a retriever, without a doubt, yeah. as a retriever. And when they bred down to toys, you still have the basic make and shape of a dog that should be able to retrieve. Obviously yeah, they, they not still, that They size. still look athletic, and they, they still keep the traditional trim of protecting the organs and the vital organs. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Cool stuff. And the other thing, Will, with judging is the um, not only the importance of the history and function, but how it applies. For example, in the pointers in America, the field trial pointers in America have 12 o'clock tails. It's a necessity because where we hunt... You have to have that for visibility. Yeah. When in England, where the breed did most of its development, you don't have that kind of cover. So you wanted a tail straight off the back. And part of that is because when you cast, before the invention of the flint, flintlock gun, setters and pointers would go in and point the game, and they would throw a giant net they would over them. them. Yeah. So if there's a high tail on any of those pointing breeds, the net would get snagged or in the way. Breed comes here. We need the tail straight up to hunt, but we're saluting the original history and function of the breed. So we want the tail off the back because that's how it was done 
where it was originated for the show ring. There's a lot of those little differences in our head that take a lot. To, you don't learn this by taking a test and getting 10 CEUs, Will. That's a bunch of... Look who we have, look who we have in the ring today. Because they were able to get CEUs and go around and check the box. Could I could we have this discussion with those people? Somewhere. Sorry. Yeah. There's only a couple. Oh, many of them we could. But there's plenty that just check the boxes and move on. And um and ends up ends up rising, you end up knowing which ones they are, you know. Yeah. And they do. And the, you know, uh, Peter Kruba was telling me, we know the, the judges that we can go get an opinion from. And we know the ones we can go just have fun and go show our dogs. He said, I'm not going to tell you we're always going to agree with you. But we know that we can have a conversation about the breed that you can tell us why you did or didn't do what you did. But we'll understand it. We might not agree with it. And that's what's healthy about these discussions. And, you know, that's what we had all weekend long at Westchester, I felt. You know, we were sitting there and we have those discussions with whoever sat down next with us, next to us, you know. Absolutely. And in the lunchroom and lunch tent, which was beautiful, yeah. and everything else. But judging, it's not like something you can get into. I had a teenage handler in the ring, and uh, she had a picture made for some award. And I said, what do you want to do? Is this something you want to do? Do you want to breed? Do you want to um, handle? Do you want to judge? What do you want? She goes, I want to be you. I want to judge. I want to be just like what you do. That's what I want to do. I want to walk around, go in there and evaluate breeding stock. And I said, that's just, that's really wonderful. I mean, that's wonderful. It's a great goal. You need 20 more years of foundation, right? Yeah. Um, not saying you couldn't go in there and do it, but could you explain it and could you feel it in your gut? And do you feel comfortable doing it? Like, like mm -hmm. I, um, I don't know. I, I've been sh showing dogs since I was a kid. And I truly, obviously, I make, make some mistakes judging, but I feel comfortable with everything I do. I just, Me too. And just get in yeah, there I think and... you make you make a mistake, and it could be a subtle one, right? A third and a fourth. Every time you judge, probably. And if you, and I think if you realize you've made the mistake, you've already learned. So that's so true, Will. That's right on target. Yeah. You do. When I have those discussions with myself on the way home on the plane, <laughs> I'd like to think I'm learning from it. Um, but if you're not honest, and if you don't admit that you make mistakes minor major whatever it might be almost every time you judge you're probably not trying yeah exactly like i had a discussion with somebody this morning and they they're a judge and they have a, a new dog and they're very proud of that dog and the dog looks lovely and they're going to have fun doing it and i said to them i said well you have this dog now i said and it looks like a nice dog and i bet you've learned a lot already having that dog and they said tons and that's important. That's like uh, it puts keeps things in perspective. Now, now they have this new dog, and it's and it's, it's kind of out of their their realm of what they originally had. So he, they're learning from this new dog, and he, they have a new they have a new mentor. They have more literature to read, and it, it, it's it's really important. I think to keep things in perspective while you're out there judging. I learned more about sighthounds by having Killian in the house. Yeah. I really did. Having an Irish wolfhound, just watching him, just walking him, watching him turn, watching the way he got up, watching his presence when he saw certain things, seeing what happened to his confirmation, seeing what happened to his mind. It gave me an insight to sighthounds that'd be hard to get right. uh, without. Those are things that, and we've been able to, we've had the luck, Will, in our lives of showing and helping and trimming 
really good dogs. You know, working for the Forsyths was cheating. We had the best one of every breed. Yeah. And you had to bathe it and cut its nails and brush it and pick up its poop and see it in the X-Pen and know who you'd get along with, with the other breeds and other dogs. Those are valuable experiences that you can't get by studying a book or taking a test or, or meeting with someone for an hour. And those things that they teach you that you store in your bank, like typical things. Like I remember looking at a dog one time and there was a dog that, you know, was untypical, but they were very attractive. They had like things that weren't typical of the breed, but they had the top line. They had this, they had the over-exaggeration. And I'll tell you, with Susan Hillman, she said to me, well, that's a very lovely dog. But the one behind it's more typical for the breed. And that's the one that should be awarded. And yep. she was, you know, you think about it, and that's the way it, the way it goes. Yep. Sandy D'Andrea, who's one of my favorite people and a great rep, uh, I judged one of those shows where after doing my breeds, there were puppy groups, and it was a working group. I feel comfortable in there. But I had two really good Malamute puppies. I mean, really good. I thought they were amazing. And I gave... One of them was going to go best in show, right, in in the puppy thing. Right. And um, so I struggled in the breed with the two of them, and I ended up picking up. It didn't matter. Either one of them was going to go best. They were beautiful. And when I came out of the ring, I said, okay, Sandy, I mean, that's her breed, right? I really want to know. And she said, they're both great puppies. The one that you didn't put up is the one I would take home, and here's why. She said, I'd be pleased to, eat, to own either of them. They're really good dogs. But... I want to know those nuances from an expert. Right. But Elliot Weiss, this is, oh God, I was a teenager. I was at his house and he had, uh, the woman he was married to had Chesapeake Bay Retrievers at the time. And there was a bunch of them in the backyard. I remember sitting at the kitchen table and looking out the window and seeing this bitch. And I said, Elliot, I think I finally have this down. Is that the template or not? He said, that's exactly the template. Fast forward 50 years, we're talking about that day. And he, I said, I was so lucky to be there. He said, a lot of people have been there and saw that bitch, but they didn't have the background or the foundation or have worked with the dogs you got to work with to be able to realize it. And that's where that basic experience is so essential. Yeah, nothing beats experience. Yeah, you have to have that foundation. Yeah. Um, I'm speaking, speaking of judging, I'm speaking at the uh, Canadian Dog Judges Association Conference, you and I, in October in Newfoundland. And the topic they've given me, um, surprisingly, was ethics in dog show judging. And I thought, what am I going to, you know, that's a lot, that's a long presentation to just say, you know, if, if you think you shouldn't, you shouldn't. But the more I thought about it, one of the things that is the most essential ethical question is asking yourself, why do you want to judge? If your answers are, I love being around dog people. I love dogs. I love traveling and being with these breeds that I love. I love talking about dogs with other judges. Those are okay answers, but there's only one answer. I want to judge because I want to use the knowledge an experience I have to evaluate the breeding stock before me. That's the only answer. If you don't want to do it to evaluate breeding stock, that's got to be your first premise. And if, 
it's it's it may be a stretch to think those as ethical questions. I think they are the key ethical questions. I Why agree. do you want to do it? Yeah. Why do you want well, to do I it? Agree. I think and, and it changes as you as you move along in your career. Um, I think. And I only have a short career to, to fall back on, but you start seeing the responsibility you have. Mm-hmm. Because let's face it, we all have friends, we all have familiarity with all so many different people in this sport. And you've got to just wash that away and just, yeah. again, back to Tom Horner, you've got to be selfish and do what you think is right. And that's a huge responsibility. It's in, and it takes a lot too. I think we've lost so many judges that had the knowledge but didn't have i'll say it the backbone to put that knowledge on paper because yes. I, I i never i won't say the judge's name but they don't judge anymore because they couldn't take the pressure their friends put them on under mm-hmm. you know they uh, and they're really smart dog people they can go buy me a dog but they didn't want to hurt their friends feelings yeah and the other thing is you have to be able to make decisions you might know everything about dogs but if you're not a decision maker, you only got a couple minutes. Yeah. And it's, I would have loved to take in a couple of the breeds that I had and work with them for another half hour. I don't think I would have learned anything. But if you're just starting out, it gives you time to think. You have to get past that. You have to have the experience to walk in there and be able to make decisions and be confident about it. And ethically, that means if you're going to be a judge, you, you, you have a responsibility to really try your whole life to get as much knowledge as you can about every breed that you judge well. I mean, you just have to want to do that because this is where it comes into ethics. If you're not confident, like we just discussed, if you don't have the decision-making and the knowledge in the background, and if you haven't really done your homework and you walk in there and you're not comfortable, guess what you're going to do? You're going to put up yesterday's winners you're going to put up the bandwagon dogs. You're going to no, up... It doesn't mean you're wrong, but, no. it's, but it's not legitimate. It's not you're, you, you've fallen back on something and somebody else rather than you have, knowing you... in your heart, oh, that is the right one. That walks like a duck. It talks like a duck. It's a duck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And many judges go through life um, doing that, but you're going to be the ones that are on the ethical poop list because you end up putting up friends, you end up doing favors, trading assignments, doing all these things because you don't have the conviction to do what you need to do. You may be wrong, you may be right, but if you have the conviction to do it, you're not going to play games. You don't have to play games because you're confident enough to put up the best dog regardless, like Tom Horner says, right? You're confident enough to be selfish. And is human nature going to get in the way? Of course. Always does. Always does. We're all human nature. It's, It's canine figure skating. I had two class dog English cockers at Westchester, both both shown by two of old friends. I mean, 50-year friends, lovely guys, too. And I didn't, it never crossed my mind that that was an issue. What crossed my mind was these are similar dogs. One had a better head, one had a better front. That's all I was focused on. (laughs) And, And they knew that. Yeah. We talked about it after it wasn't even, I mean, there wasn't even one bit of, well, I know better. 
you know, they wanted to know. And I said, one is better. And of course they do. That's exactly right. And the woman who bred them talked to me about them. And that was a pretty, and I put them up, the, the dog that I did use, I put up over a bunch of specials and we saw him in the group. He's a nice young dog. So they're out there, but you have to have the conviction to do it. Right. And uh, it doesn't mean that all these top dogs aren't deservedly top dogs. And if they are, you have to find them. So I don't want, like, I, you can always tell a judge that goes out there looking for something other than the top dog. They're mm -hmm. not doing, they're not doing themselves justice either. Right. They're not doing their job justice. And I guess, you know what I find interesting? The human nature stuff. Breeds come in a bunch of colors. One might be an odd color. And all of a sudden it's fashionable. Fashionable for that color to win, even though it's never really been in the ribbons for the last 40 years for whatever reason. So no, everybody said, I put up the whatever color. <laughs> the what purple Milton Brown dog. <laughs> was it any good? I don't know. <laughs> Is that a functional color? Can you see it do its job? And that's the important part. That's Can fair. you find it in the woods? Can you find it in the field? It's a reason um, for, the, for the, the numbers to be higher in certain colors. Yeah. And it's not for the dog shows. Right. <laughs> and I'm not saying you shouldn't when you have to or oh, for the best not. one. Of course. And we're not saying that top winning dog shows get beat. That's not what we're talking about at all. But if a young one, I had a, I don't think I should say the breed because she was so good that we're going to hear from her in the in the future. But she was so good. And they held her back to show just at Westchester um, where I could finish. I did finish her. Thought about giving her the breed. Uh, but I had a real good one. I had a couple of real good ones in there. You did too, Will. We had some nice ones. Yeah. Um, it wasn't the same entry because it was a different day and it wasn't a specialty, but um, it was really quality that we didn't even expect. That's the kind of one that when you see, that's the kind of one, that's the kind of dog that when you see it, you think, mm -hmm, this is going to be a top 10 dog. And I was able to, I was able to, judge that dog as a youngster i hope it is I hope she turns out but, right uh, and there's a lot of variables you know, it's, yeah it may wake up tomorrow morning and think i don't like doing this anymore mm -hmm. oh well we all have those days yeah, yeah. And dogs uh, have those days I've, I've i've seen some great dogs that have come out of the gate and you think oh my god this dog's gonna have the world well mm -hmm. six months down the road of being shown too early i don't want to be a show dog anymore mm -hmm. That. There was a dog that got defeated by just a dog this weekend and a breed. And um, under a judge I respect, I couldn't believe it. So I called the world's expert in dog shows. Um, that's Brody, our son, yeah. who knows exactly what's going on in every. <laughs> and he's about that. That's an owner handler who was so sick he could barely stand up. He should have left. He did go right after that and come home and didn't show, stay the next day because he was so ill. And as a result, he couldn't show his dog well at all. That happens. Yeah, it happens. It happens. But if you have a question about any of those things, that's uh, well, I'm sure Brody knew about Biz Nasty. You know? He did. He absolutely did. <laughs> I, I had I one ribbon burner this weekend, and uh, ribbon snatcher, ribbon snatcher, and. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know how to react because they were so fast at snatching the ribbon and giving me the scowl right. and leaving. Right. But I did ask in the next breed, this one of the same handlers were in the ring, and I said, to, "I said, well, this person, you know, snatched the ribbon from me and and was gave me this look like I just, you know, ruined their life." 
And the handlers said, well, they do that all the time. They've, they've lost all weekend and that's what they do. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, what they do. Okay. <laughs> um, Ken did one, Ken Mary did one, and I highly recommend it. You have to be, yeah, you never expect these things. That's no, the thing, right? Because you're worrying it. about, did I mark my book? <laughs> did I sign that thing? What's the next class? Was that 12 to 18 or is that bread? You know, you have to, you're so many things going through your head logistically and then, and you're done. You're And all of a sudden it's a snatcher. Ken said, he held on to it and he said, whoa, 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 let's do that over again. And if you had, even if that woman had taken, or man had taken a step, you say, excuse me, give me that ribbon back. Now give it to me nicely. It takes a lot to do that. Right. But there are days I wouldn't mind doing it. Well, I'm going to mm -hmm. remember that. And it's uh, it's just one of those things. And like 99.9% of the exhibitors are wonderful. They may get they pissy are. back in their setup. But I, so far in my career, I've had like, that's the second one. We've discussed the first one. That It's you know, it's so I, not that I have a huge library to fall back on so far, but so far, so good, you know. I had a, a man who was fourth out of four, and it was an easy fourth out of four. And he came back, and he's kind of a, you know, a, a, uh, he had a good presence, this guy. And he came back in the ring, uh, walked right in the ring after the breed. I was about to judge another breed. Just walked right in the ring and said, I just want to tell you that I had such a wonderful time today. I'm new. I'm learning so much. You were so kind and so patient with everybody. There, that's the mo the majority of people are that cool yeah, and that nice. Exactly. He was. At, I had many thirds and fourths with big smiles on their faces, and that's because they know what they have there, or they're novices and want to learn. The ones that are in there with bad dogs, just because they want win here and there, think they should always win. They're not learning anything. I don't care about those people. Will. This is a show, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we were doing at ringside the whole time. We were talk, watching the group. This is a show, Jerry. This is it. We're talking about nothing. <laughs> and boy, is Eddie good. Eddie's up good at the Seinfeld uh, quotes, eh? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. right on it. Yeah, he's right I on I wish it. we could get him on the show with us because he'd be part of the show. He'd, he would be. He'd, he'd be, be Kramer. Show. He could be anybody. I don't know if he wants to be Kramer, but... <laughs> well, he doesn't want to be Newman. No one wants to be Newman. Hello, Newman. Hello, Newman. <laughs> oh, boy. I have to guess, I have to sharpen up and watch some more reruns, get some more quotes. Well, that's so funny. I've watched so much Seinfeld in my life that when I'm doing something, be it transport or writing or getting, like I'm getting my seminar ready for this weekend, I'll have it in the background because it doesn't distract me. Yeah. But all of a sudden, I'll go. <laughs> Not good at funerals. Well, don't bring. No, those. no. Yeah, you but don't Jerry wasn't that. good at funerals either. No, he, wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't. Oh, I could just say, oh boy, that would be fun. We should think of who's who, though. We should come up with a cast. We should come up with a cast of who in the sport would match those characters. Oh, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of yeah. my buddy. My buddy Colin is George Costanza. There's no question. There's no <laughs> question. He's George. George is getting <laughs> That's what's supposed to be the summer of George. <laughs> Shrinkage. Anyway, there's so many terms were coined from that show. Anyway, um, yeah, I think overall we've got a great bunch of people. I mean, the vast majority of sportsmanship in the rings 
is so good that when it turns bad, it's brutal and should be discussed and should be And then be you penalized. notice it. I think sometimes the cases we notice because everybody else is is, is relatively okay. Yeah. So we do and I notice think judges the, the same way. I think we have lots of good judges. Um, I really do. They may not be great in every breed because there's 200 of them and no one can be. No, exactly. But we have a good pool of judges. Yeah, we do have some people who got advanced too quickly or just don't have and never will have an eye for a dog basis but we have to have because we have 10 billion shows so you need 10 billion judges with five groups apiece yep. so slide them along in advance someone asked me you're going to keep going no i don't necessarily want to judge certain groups there's two or three i i could do it i just don't want to and i certainly want to chase around these damn forms oh yeah the more i do them will the more i just think can't they just interview you about them that start there and then go fill out. Then tell me how many points you go need. You need to go get or something like that. (laughs) But, you know, if you can have a conversation, make it a half hour one with two, three good dog people, the reps, they know and sit and talk to them about that breed. And if you're on track and you're not making shit up or quoting from a standard, but doing a full in depth discussion, Okay, go get five points. We get three points just to make everybody happy. But you get an extra pile of points for just knowing what the hell you're talking about. And that conversation might go such that it's kind of like penance in the Catholic Church, Will. You <laughs> went in a little booth there. And you say, like, do they still do that? The guy behind the group. I'm a recovering Catholic, so I don't know. But you, <laughs> so you go in a little booth there. You tell the guy all to do that. If we thought we screwed up, we'd have to go up to the booth, the AKC booth, and say, yeah. forgive me, Mr. Brumby, for I've seen <laughs> Yes, and it'll say, two CEUs, one kennel visit, and a new hat. And you... <laughs> Just like all, oh, those poor priests that used to do that, give you the number of prayers to offset your sins. It's a difficult task. It's as bad as judging dog shows, but with more spirituality. Not to mock on anybody's no, faith. No, of course not. But um, this is the, the show the about everything and nothing. So, <laughs> but the uh, yeah, I think that would be a good way to do it. Everybody comes up with different ways. I still like the interview by zone, which is kind of the same thing, right? It was the if you missed it, the, we have a lot of new listeners. Um, hey, RC is a new listener. Yeah, Good to chat yeah, with him yeah. out there. Steve um, Daner, we've got a bunch of new yeah, listeners. Yeah. Yeah. But when uh, it, we talked about this in the past, have zones where if you live in that zone and you applied with all your fancy pieces of paper to be fair and you get declined, uh, you can go to this panel. And tell them your story. And if they say, well, they're not good at filling out forms, they really know this breed, they can make that recommendation back to the board. So it's sort of like a, I don't know, a little jury of our peers. Yeah. Because how would the board members, I remember when I was, ironically enough, I was on the judge's application committee uh, that I now have to apply to, uh, Jim Edwards, Maribeth and I, Ron Rella, and the, the, we didn't make the final decision. We recommended it to the board. But when they came in, we would the first thing we would do is discuss their application in detail. And then we'd say, does anybody know this person? And if not, and they were applying for Welsh Terriers, we'd call someone in Welsh Terriers and say, do you know this person? How much do they know? 
Is it someone you would advance? And those are things we put together in our recommendation for the board to vote on. How do you know who, you're, who you're, these pieces of paper are anonymous? How the hell do you know what kind of background they have? Oh, There's exactly. no you can't. You can't. It's not that black and white. You can't. No. Because you could easily get, like you say, Will, and Tim Hortons, give them the standard, especially some sharp young college kid, right? Give them the breed standard because they're used to studying. They say that only for that reason. They could study the breed standard, come back in an hour later, give them the test. They'd certainly pass it. Of course they'd pass it. Without ever and seeing if, a dog. Yep. And if they had to go do kennel visits and apprentice and all that stuff you got to do, or go to seminars, they could even fill out that CE form, CEU form, and pass and be approved for that breed without having any background. That's what we have now. And we, have, personal people interview that, we process. have people that can take any test in the world and never fail it. Yeah. We, Is there an interview? So many over the years that, that could could just not fail it, but to apply it. Yeah. Different story. There is an, I don't want to say there's not an interview interview process now because there is, it's about that breed and that's all it can be in the current format. But these, these reps have great depth of knowledge. And if they want to talk to you about goldens and you can explain to them the nuances of the breed, the way the standard applies to the breed, their history and function, all things you can just study I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what's your background in the sport? What led you to make those observations? Who did you see in 1970? Well, whenever it was, that you can, let's talk about dogs in the past and compare them. What's your background? What'd you do in the sport? That should be more of a, I don't know, that's more points than, I mean, for example, sitting all weekend in Emanclaw near Seattle two weeks ago with Elliot you know, Elliot Weiss, and we've done this many times, talked about dogs. We're talking about some breeds in depth all weekend. How many points for that, Will? Zero. None. Yeah. None. Talking to Desi this weekend about Well Springers and him quoting dogs from the 70s that I do remember, scarily enough, even though I can't find my phone. Oh, man, there's so many things that, that you... Wouldn't you want to talk to Ed Biven about Pomeranians uh, that's worth one point if he's an approved mentor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably isn't. I told uh, Ed this weekend that he he taught me so much without even knowing that he taught me. Because mm-hmm. whenever Ed judged up here, I, I always was in awe of it. I always thought it was an amazing uh, judge official. But he, he he we got along quite well. And whenever he found something that excited him, he'd call me over. Well, come and look at this. Yes. And he'd tell me yes. why. And that ingrained in my head. And it really mm-hmm. did. At the World Show in, I don't know, might have been Paris, could have been Budapest. Jim Edwards, my late wonderful friend, we were sitting watching Cocker Spaniels, and Ed Biven was judging. And in the middle of the class, he did what you said, Will. He walked over to the corner where we were and said, did you see these two? And we talked about them for at least five minutes, and then he went back to judging. (laughs) It was wonderful. He has, And that's because he has passion for these breeds, passion for knowledge, and wanted to discuss a good dog while they were right there, and we were there with them. How much did I learn from that? Well, exactly. There's no no form for that, Will. No form for that. I don't know. I'm getting more and more disenfranchised with this whole form mess. Anyway, um, I think we've 
we've probably extended our stay. Yeah, we may be over, you know, we're welcomed our stay here with these drivers. <laughs> they want to get back to some other podcast. <laughs> right. Well, sometimes if it's a short trip, you got to turn it off because you're there. Yeah. But I would recommend you just sit in your van and um, listen to the rest of it because this is very important stuff by two guys who take nothing, take everything serious. But themselves. Except ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Take us out, William. All right, guys. Be safe, be safe down the road, and we'll see you somewhere at a dog show. Party on, Greg. No way. Way. Better be paying attention, Doc. Thanks for the Don't Ernie confuse it in the blooper reel. That's right. We love you, Ernie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put that in, Ernie. <laughs> Quit taking yourself so damn seriously. I'm falling Uh, this is good. We're going to be here in a second, Wayner. Don't lose it, Doc. Hot. Hot. Don't use that one, Doc. Don't use that one, Doc.